America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great day as we get closer and closer to yet another great day. That will be Tuesday, November 8th. That's the election day. Uh, with so much at stake, the control of the Senate, the control of the House of Representatives, the direction of the country, uh, we will help to determine that with uh, our voting. Is there a clear trend in uh, how things are going? Is it going as most people have expected all along toward Republicans? As the party out of power, when you have three quarters of America who say they don't like the direction of the country, who say that we're headed in the wrong direction. When you have that kind of dissatisfaction with our leadership, it's hard to imagine how Joe Biden gets a, a vote of confidence. We will be talking about this with uh, Jonathan Allen, who has been traveling the country, about some of the races, well, that could even bring a surprise. One of those races that... This made the New York Times today. I couldn't believe it. New York Times tends to be a very Democratic paper. But in the New York Times, they have an article about the latest polling in New York State, where it shows that Lee Zeldin, uh, the indefatigable but definitely underdog Republican candidate for governor of New York, has uh, drawn within 10 points of uh, Kathy Hochul, who had taken over the governorship after uh, Chris uh, Cuomo, no, it's not Chris Cuomo, it's Andrew Cuomo. Uh, let's keep the Cuomo straight. Uh, after Andrew Cuomo resigned. Uh, but uh, within 10 points, uh, they are talking now if there is a red wave that develops. Is it even possible that New York uh, could give us a Republican governor for the first time since uh, George Pataki, for goodness sake? possible. Uh, is it uh, worth hoping for? Well, Republicans are hoping for an, an Oregon flip. The uh, front runner, Christine Drazen, is a Republican member of the legislature. It's a three-way gubernatorial race. And now they are pouring astounding money into races for the Oregon legislature. That is, Republicans hoping to flip at least the state Senate to the GOP it would be the first time in 20 years. Uh, we'll be talking about all of that with, um, with Jonathan Allen coming up. We're also going to talk with John Yu about the hearings yesterday by the January 6th committee and the invitation. Well, it's not just an invitation. It's a command. It's a subpoena. Uh, they um, will be talking with Professor John Yu of University of California at Berkeley about why... Trump might actually get the best of the entire situation by, yes, agreeing to a subpoena and uh, why that would actually help his cause in in many people's estimation uh, as he tries to negotiate for another run for the presidency. We'll also be speaking to Paul Kengor, the uh, director of the Institute for Faith and Freedom at... Uh, at Grove City College about the weirdest U.S. Senate candidate ever and the secret of one of his obscured tattoos. He has a lot of tattoos. Uh, one of them is just a big black rectangle which crossed out 
a previous tattoo that said what? And no, it was not a former girlfriend. And we'll also uh, be speaking with an investigative filmmaker who has done a lot of good work in the past and has a most recent film actually attempts to track down the real location of Mount Sinai, which is referenced so prominently in the Bible. Uh, there's no consensus really at all as to where it it was so we'll get to some of the latest research which actually could change the way that people look at this biblical narrative altogether uh, we'll be getting to that also on the Michael Medved show 1-800-955-1776 is our as our phone number the um, there's another story which uh, it's 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 terrible when these things become routine but it's a story from last night and uh, headline in the Washington Post teenager in custody after five killed in Raleigh shooting this is a uh, capital uh, city Raleigh North Carolina where a 15 year old male 15 years old opened fire in an eastern Raleigh neighborhood uh, yesterday afternoon killing at least five people and used, leaving multiple people wounded in what remains a two-mile crime scene. It was hours before they apprehended him. He was uh, took five hours before they took the suspect into custody. He was seriously wounded. He may have been wounded uh, by his own hand. He has not been identified yet we don't know yet what the uh, motivation, if any, was. Uh, the um, handgun and a long gun were both recovered after the shooting, the authorities say, uh, during which the suspect wore camouflage and he carried a camouflage backpack, according to the investigation. One of the victims who was killed was an off-duty police officer, Gabriel Torres, who was 29, who was on his way to work. Uh, there is a, another police officer, a canine officer, who suffered injuries that were not life-threatening. The uh, suspect was also being treated, is in critical condition, the police confirmed today. Police did not say what kind of gun was used or how the suspect might have obtained it, but an eyewitness uh, speaking to local news channel WRAL described the suspect as carrying a long-barreled shotgun and dressed in, dressed in camouflage while wearing a camouflage backpack. Uh, the President Biden waited till the victims were identified yesterday and then he issued a statement expressing his and First Lady Jill Biden's condolences and said his administration was working closely with Democratic Governor Roy Cooper uh, touting, this is from the Washington Post, Touting the bipartisan gun control law he signed in June, Biden decried the ongoing scourge of U.S. mass shootings and once again called for an assault weapons ban, saying, enough. Well, they don't even know for sure this is what would be called a short weapon that was used here. What is amazing about this is that five hours on the loose, five people dead, do you know how many mass shooting incidents they have had so far this year? And they count a mass shooting as an incident where at least four people are victimized, are either shot or killed 
not including the shooter. So I, I, I'm surprised at the number, but the number is, according to the Gun Violence Archive, 532 so far this year. So it's close to two a day. I mean, mass shootings in the country? In uh, North Carolina, there were 1,699 deaths uh, from firearms in 2020. That's about 16 for every 100,000 people. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, there are 20 states with higher death rates than North Carolina. The, uh, the idea that crime is out of control, uh, first of all, the idea that uh, President Biden touted the gun control law that was successfully passed, which was a moderate law, okay, that didn't stop this. That hasn't visibly reduced the levels of violence. What could? Is it right to hold the government or the leadership of the Democratic Party, which controls our federal government, is it right to hold them responsible for the crime rate, which is out of control? And it's not just mass shootings. A lot of it is just random crimes, like shoplifting without penalty. Uh, we will get to that and more coming up on the MedVet Show. On the MedVet Show, we'll try to bring you the information as soon as they identify this 15-year-old who killed five of his fellow Americans in a what appears to be a random shooting over two miles. Part of it was a greenway. It was sort of a suburban trail in East Raleigh. And uh, Raleigh, by the way, if people haven't been there, it's, uh, North Carolina is a beautiful state, and uh, Raleigh's... Uh, a very attractive and dynamic city, and uh, this is this is horrible. I mean, just 15 years old, and uh, that of course brings up yesterday. We talked about Edmonds, Washington, which is another lovely city. Really, it is, and uh, where there was a student who was arrested. He's currently being held on eight hundred thousand dollar bond who had brought a gun into school. He's a gang member. And he had brought a, uh, a gun into Edmonds Woodway High School. And he, some of the fellow students doing exactly what you're supposed to do went to the administration and said that the still unidentified young man has a gun in school. So the uh, uh, student, I mean... The assistant superintendent said that uh, what the students passed on about him having a gun in school was very nonspecific, but enough information to give the school cause to bring in the suspect and talk to him. So they talked to him, and they searched his backpack. But he had the gun hidden in his shorts. He was wearing shorts underneath his pants, and he had the gun there. It was a Glock. And, uh, again... 
the, the school didn't take any immediate action. They didn't call the cops until after he was interviewed in the principal's office and they searched his backpack and then they sent him back into school and the school took no further action until about 1 p.m. That's when a third student came to the administrators and told them the suspect told him that uh, they, the school staff, hadn't found it because he had it near his waist crotch area. The documents say the student believed the suspect was talking about a gun. It was then at 1.11 p.m. that the school finally called 911. And uh, then within four minutes, officers arrived at the school. Well, good for the Edmonds Police Department. But the reluctance to call the police on something like this, when you have multiple students reporting, hey, Johnny over there, I don't know that's his name, we don't know his name. But uh, uh, the, the idea that uh, after two early reports about a gun, he was not kept in the office and police not called then and there to further check the story, uh, the superintendent says this is a... We can look back and say hindsight is twenty twenty moment, said, said Schwab. We made a judgment call. It was lousy judgment. And look, the people who uh, at one time or another endorsed the idea of defunding the police, that this was what we needed. And you may remember if you go back to the immediate aftermath of the George Floyd murder, there were all kinds of prominent people, leading Democrats, oh yeah, defund the police, we have to uh, cut back their funding. And that is, honest to goodness, it's very, very rare in American political life where you have a point of view that is just utterly discredited and thrown on the ash heap of history and where no one, no one takes that position now and uh, Republicans are right to be pinning the position on Democrats who once went along with it and actually did cut back police budgets in Seattle, in Portland, in Portland dramatically. And it's disastrous. Uh, the uh, Joe Scarborough actually had something to say about this. And yes, of course, crime is going to be a big issue and it should be a big issue. It should be a big issue in the election because the support for tougher, better financed, more rewarded, more supported police services is a desperate need in this country. The uh, Joe Scarborough spoke about it on his show and uh, about why crime is going to be one of the deciding issues in this election. Uh, this is Joe Scarborough on MSNBC, clip 12. If you're a Democrat, you need to be concerned. All of the murders, the chaos in the city. You know, our, our CIA buddy, Mark, a uh, guy with a long last name that starts with P. Yeah, he, he, you know, he's been the most dangerous parts of the world in the CIA. Yep. He now drives around with Philly cops. They're demoralized. He said he fears for his life more in Philadelphia than he ever did in the most dangerous parts of Afghanistan. Um, and why does this matter? Not because of downtown Philadelphia, because nope. downtown Philadelphia is gonna go nope. Democratic, it always does. But the Philly suburbs that have been breaking there Democratic right now, 
they're starting to feel like, like New Yorkers felt yep. in 88, 89. It is, it is chaos there. It does, don't, doesn't matter what the DA says. Let him go out to Bucks County and explain how everything is safe and wonderful in Philly. It's going to impact this race. I don't know if Oz wins, but it's going to keep it a lot closer than it should be. Okay. uh, Look, it certainly is going to uh, keep it a lot closer than it should be for people who think that, uh, uh, (laughs) that John Fetterman should win. John Fetterman has a record as a member uh, leader of the parole board. He's lieutenant governor of the state. And he has all the time uh, been in favor of letting people out of custody early. And they do re-offend. And uh, he's a, 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 an extraordinarily weird guy. How weird we will cover later in the show with uh, Paul Kangor. Who's uh, who's written a, <laughs> a fascinating piece about the weirdest U.S. Senate candidate of all time? And here's a local story from Philadelphia, my hometown. Um, my parents moved from Philly when I was six, but I have very, very vivid memories. I used to go back for summer camp and to visit my grandma, my oma. Uh, but uh, it's a local story about Wawa, which are beloved convenience stores, and they have Wawa milk, and they have, in, in the Philly area, they're closing some locations of Wawa convenience stores. Why? Listen, this is clip 11. Uh, we will actually get to clip 11 later on. Uh, we have coming up uh, uh, John uh, Jonathan Allen, who is senior national politics reporter for NBC News. He's been traveling the country uh, listening to people and trying to talk to people about what is driving their concerns in this election. And is there a discernible tide that is flowing either in uh, a Republican or a Democratic direction? Which way do we want to change the country? Uh, What are the issues, if any, on which there is anything like consensus? We will get to that coming right up on the MedVet Show. Jonathan Allen is a senior national politics reporter for NBC News. Uh, We've uh, started working with him after he came on to talk about his great book, Lucky, which is the story about how it is that Joe Biden got to be president of the United States. Uh, Right now, Joe Biden uh, facing the very great likelihood that at least one House of Congress will turn from Democratic to Republican. That would be the House of Representatives. Uh, John uh, has a new piece uh, where there's actually some agreement between Mehmet Oz, the Republican nominee for Senate in Pennsylvania, and Joe Biden on a very controversial subject, but we uh, will be discussing that in moments from now. uh, John, I want to ask you generally, you've been monitoring this as closely as anybody. We're now, what is it, it's three weeks away, not even. 
And uh, is there, as you're traveling the country and you're talking to people and you're uh, actually tasting those grassroots, uh, is there a sense that you have of a wave going in any direction? Uh, or is this just a very divided, unpredictable country and an unpredictable election? That's a that's a great question, Michael. And I think the the short answer is we don't appear to be looking at a big wave, um, and we may see some cross currents. So, and what I what I mean by that is um, it, it's possible you're going to see different results in some of these uh, swing states, particularly at the Senate and gubernatorial levels. Um, but I think you know. It would be very shocking at this point if Republicans didn't pick up a significant number of seats in the House, not just enough to win a majority, but enough to pad it a little bit. And uh, for the Senate, they, they say that there are three Senate seats that are likely to determine the final outcome. Uh, the seats in uh, Nevada and in uh, Pennsylvania and in Georgia. First of all, do you agree with that analysis? Yes, I, I think those are the three three races that seem to be the closest, um, and where you could see you know a small a small change uh, between now and election day really affecting the outcome. And uh, in terms of uh, those small changes, uh, there was a poll yesterday that showed that in Georgia, at least, uh, that uh, Herschel Walker had been. Uh, damaged a little bit by all of the recent publicity and that uh, I believe that uh, Pastor Warnock had about a seven-point lead. Uh, do you think uh, they're supposed to be debating tonight, right? Uh, that's right. There's a debate scheduled for tonight in Savannah. Um, you know, I'm not shocked that the, that the recent news about Herschel Walker would be detrimental to him. There's a, an interesting dynamic uh, that is really taken hold of our politics over time and it's particularly acute in Senate races, which is uh, that if the attention is on you uh, in one of those races, you tend to do worse. Um, you know, these have become contests for, uh, you know, for who the better, who the worst alternative is and, and rejecting that worst alternative rather than, uh, you know, who would be the best person to represent a state. At least, um, you know, that's that's what voters seem to be responding to. And so if you have a spate of bad news stories, um, you know, it really can affect you. Well, by that measure, uh, we've been hearing a lot more nationally, at least, about uh, John Fetterman than about Dr. Oz. That should be good news for Dr. Oz, right? Uh, yeah, generally speaking, I would, I would say that's the case. Um, you know, for a long time, Fetterman was off the campaign trail. Uh, entirely, and yet the news revolved around him being off the campaign trail. So he still managed to be in the headlines, uh, you know, not necessarily for what he would want to be in the headlines for, um, you know, for months as he's been recovering from his stroke. Uh, my colleague Dasha Burns interviewed uh, John Fetterman Friday uh, a week ago, and, and that interview aired earlier this week. She did a sit-down interview with uh, Dr. Oz, um, uh, just yesterday, uh, and that uh, the, that interview has been rolling out on NBC all day today. And so, you know, we've gotten a better look at, at both of those candidates. Uh, I wrote uh, the print versions of her her story uh, with her, um, and you know, and watched those interviews and, and read the transcripts about six times each. 
Okay, so how do you how do you explain something like this? This is a, a brand new poll, Emerson College poll from Ohio, which shows a dead heat between J.D. Vance and Tim Ryan. J.D. Vance, the Republican, the author of Hillbilly Elegy, and Tim Ryan, longtime ten-term congressman, Democrat, moderate Democrat. He says, in any event, it's forty-six percent to forty-five percent. And uh, and at the same time in in Ohio, the Republican governor, uh, Mike DeWine, is winning by 14 points over the mayor of Dayton, Nan Whaley. How do you explain the uh, the fact that uh, DeWine is making this a landslide and uh, and J.D. Vance, who certainly gotten a lot of attention, glamorous candidate, a successful author, strongly supported by President Trump. Why is he having such a tough time? Well, you know, I think there are two answers, and we're seeing this actually happen in a few different states. So you mentioned Ohio. Um, a similar dynamic is going on uh, with the Republicans in Georgia, where Governor Brian Kemp looks to be on his way to re-election. Um, uh, but Herschel Walker, as you mentioned before, is uh, trailing uh, Raphael Warnock in the polls. And then in Pennsylvania, from a partisan uh, viewpoint, it, uh, it flips, and you've got um, Josh Shapiro, the Democratic gubernatorial candidate, running well ahead of the Democratic Senate candidate, uh, John Fetterman. You know, Fetterman and Oz are, are pretty close together. Fetterman's led in every poll, but most of them are within the margin of error. Shapiro looks like he's going to win pretty easily. I, so I think there are two things at, at work here. One is uh, the candidates matter, and two, I think there's a certain percentage of the Republican Party that is uh, very comfortable with Republicans who embrace, um, you know, some aspects of Trumpism, but are not comfortable with the hand-picked candidates of Donald Trump, meaning in, this, in these cases, uh, J.D. Vance, uh, Mehmet Oz, and, uh, and Herschel Walker. And so, um, you know, I think that's become an issue, that there are, you know, I don't know exactly what the, the share of, of that uh, Republican said is, um, and it's probably a little different in each state, but it's enough to um, keep those Senate races pretty tight. Okay. Uh, can uh, you hang on for a moment, and uh, maybe uh, we, we can take a, a look at the House and how many seats uh, the uh, Republicans are likely to capture. They only need five to take control of the House of Representatives and to make um, uh, to make uh, Kevin McCarthy the uh, new Speaker of the House. Farewell to Nancy Pelosi, uh, and and also the idea of uh, the the hearings yesterday. It, is that going to have any impact? I know there are some who believe that by turning attention to Trump, uh, that will help uh, Democrats because the the whole idea of uh, the uh, very first move or one of the first moves that the the uh, Republicans are likely to take is to cancel the rest of the select committee uh, regardless of where they stand with their work or the subpoena that they're going to be issuing to President Trump. Uh, we will continue that conversation and, and also maybe look ahead for just a moment to the way things are shaping up for 2024 with Jonathan Allen, his book about the Biden campaign, uh, which uh, 
talks about the good luck that made it possible for Joe Biden to actually win. Uh, that book is called Lucky, and it's uh, posted at our website. Jonathan Allen, senior national politics reporter for NBC News. And uh, what about the big issue of crime that Republicans are more and more trying to emphasize and the issue of abortion, which the Democrats are pushing almost monochromatically. Coming up. And Jonathan Allen has a couple of recent pieces that seem to be pointing in the opposite directions. Uh, the uh, Democrats trying to preempt the GOP's soft on crime attacks. Jonathan Allen writes uh, from NBC where he's a national uh, politics reporter. It may not work. At the same time, Dr. Oz says he supports Biden on marijuana pardons and uh, opposes federal mandatory minimum prison sentences. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I thought particularly when you're running against John Fetterman, who has all those controversial parole board decisions and seems to be very vulnerable on the crime issue, uh, wouldn't Dr. Oz want to look tougher on on crime and maybe not uh, follow the the marijuana pardons, which, by the way, don't apply to a single human being who is imprisoned for marijuana possession. There's no one in federal prison, not one, uh, for that particular crime. So what's the deal? What does Dr. Oz gain by supporting Biden on that issue? Well, that's a great question, Michael. I think uh, what he gains is uh, to prevent Fetterman from having an edge on an issue. Um, you know, where the politics have really changed uh, over the decades. Uh, you, know, I, you know, what Oz said was that he doesn't believe uh, that if you have a simple possession uh, conviction that you should uh, have that work against you in the future in terms of having to put down on your employment that you're an uh, application that you're a convicted felon and things like that. Um, and so I think it was an issue where Fetterman might have sought an advantage with uh, with some Pennsylvanians, and, you know, this takes it off the table. The other thing that I said that I thought was fascinating was that he opposes federal mandatory minimum sentences, uh, which I think puts him as, as a bit of an outlier among Republicans. All of it has the effect, I think, of tacking a little bit to the center, um, you know, uh, at a time when he's, he's still trying to get over the, the hump in terms of, uh, you know, a slight polling disadvantage right now. Okay, in in terms of uh, the uh, congressional races, I mean, I was watching the hearings yesterday, and Elaine Luria, she has a very tough race in Virginia. She's one of those endangered Democrats. Uh, the uh, uh, Do you think it will make a very big difference in terms of the policies in the last two years of Joe Biden's term? Uh, that it would make a very big difference if the Republicans control the House by 10 seats instead of 25, say? And both seem to be possible. I don't think it makes uh, much of a difference at all. What we've seen uh, in the House over the years is that even with a small minority, and sometimes, with a, I'm sorry, small majority, 
even sometimes, especially with a small majority, uh, there, there can be a real unifying effect around the need to not lose any votes. But what's most important about that is that uh, Republicans control the agenda in the House, meaning, uh, you know, Biden is not going to be able to get things to the floor without the Republican speaker wanting them to be on the floor, regardless of uh, whether he's got the votes, um, you know, behind him or not. And so uh, it is uh, a night and day experience for the Democrats with, with uh, you know, in particular regard to the House uh, changing hands. Uh, they go from uh, having a body that is willing to pass effectively whatever uh, the White House wants or certainly what Speaker Pelosi wants to one where uh, they get no traction and don't control the agenda. And, uh, okay, this is is kind of a, an open-ended question, but you've been following all this as closely as anyone in the country. And uh, in terms of wild cards, uh, something's going to happen on Election Day that no one expects. In fact, I would guess there'll be at least five elections that turn out that way, that no one predicted that this is a, just a shockeroo. Uh what are some of the possibilities in that sphere? Well, that's a great question. Uh, if, I, if I knew them today, uh, you know, they wouldn't be such shots on Election Day. But you're right. You know, typically what you look for is, um, you know, a veteran member of Congress that's been put into a new district and the voters don't really know them as well. Uh, and they haven't done their, uh, you know, haven't done their homework in terms of uh, going back and meeting with constituents. You can think in the past of, you know, a longtime uh, Congressman Jim Overstar of uh, Minnesota losing his race after 30 years. Uh, I want to say that was uh, about a decade ago, um, you know, where people just haven't, haven't really paid attention. There are a couple of sort of, um, you know, Senate outliers. The Republicans had been at one point very high on their candidate in, uh, in Colorado, a guy by the name of O.J. And then the uh, Democrats are high on their candidate in North Carolina. Uh, uh, Beasley, um, if either one of those seats uh, changed hands um, from from uh, Democrat to Republican in Colorado or Republican to Democrat in North Carolina, I think those would be would qualify as huge surprises. Uh, yeah, and uh, look, um, uh, we um, we have been fascinated up here in the Northwest. Uh, there's actually a Republican running ahead, Christine Drazen to uh, be governor of Oregon in a three-way race where there's a, a, a former or actually he's a current Democratic state senator who's running as an independent for governor, who's running third. But uh, with, with all of that, um, we believe uh, Tiffany Smiley, who's been running a great campaign here in the state of Washington where I live, and Patty Murray has been senator since the earth cooled. She's running for her sixth, count them, sixth term. Uh, she's been a U.S. senator since Tiffany Smiley was 11 years old. And uh, there's some polling, and not all the polling, but there's some polling that shows it's within the margin of error. Uh, you think that would be uh, an attention-getting surprise? You know, Michael, Michael, we're old enough to remember 1992 as the year of the woman. Uh, when Patty Murray was elected to the Senate, along with several other women, and it was sort of a uh, kind of a new thing. I mean, there have been women senators before, but never so many of them. Uh, yeah, I think if Tiffany Smiley wins, that would be a big surprise. But Republicans have been high on her. Um, I think if you you know if you watch her, she's a compelling candidate, um, and you know would not 
uh, would not stand out in the Senate as, as you know, um, as somebody who, you know, wasn't uh, capable of, of doing the duties of a senator or anything. Um, you know, so even though that's been on the sort of margin of uh, the races that have been have been closely watched, you know, it's certainly within the realm of possibility. You mentioned the Oregon governor's race, uh, President Joe Biden uh, going out there to help the uh, the Democrat, um, you know, shows the concern the Democrats Tina have Kotek. right now. And I think that's right. And uh, I think the um, I think what you've seen uh, what you've seen in the Pacific Northwest is uh, is somewhat of a response to to liberalism. Um, you know, Seattle and Portland uh, during the summer of 2020 watched uh, watched the uh, relative degree of lawlessness and, and didn't like it. And, you know, we've seen that, um, you know, as well in San Francisco and sort of backlash even among uh, moderate Democrats to, um, you know, to what they see as, as uh, progressivism kind of taking over and having, having poor results. Um, so we'll see how much that actually ends up uh, manifesting in those elections. But I think the politics, of, uh, to your point, the politics of the Pacific Northwest have shifted some in the last couple of years. Yeah, and I know that there's a very serious attempt to win the state Senate in uh, Oregon and either uh, a possibility for either of the houses here in the state of Washington. Uh, The New York Times this morning had a surprise headline about uh, momentum for the Lee Zeldin campaign for governor. Now, this is governor of New York where he had been running behind. He's now apparently close to within 10 points. Uh, an inconceivable upset? Uh, if Lee Zeldin wins the governorship of New York, you can expect, you know, more than 15 or 20 uh, Republican uh, flips in the House. You can expect a Republican Senate. It will be a very, very good day for Republicans across the country if Lee Zeldin wins in New York. I mean, closing to 10 points is a lot than winning a race in New York. Um, I'm trying to—I guess George Pataki was the last Republican governor of the state— um, for what was it, four terms? <laughs> um, but it, it's a pretty yeah. solidly blue state. Yes, it is. Uh, Jonathan Allen, appreciate uh, your joining us for this conversation. It will be an interesting couple of weeks. His uh, most recent pieces are linked up at our website at michaelmedved.com. And uh, again, he's the author of the huge best selling book, Lucky, about the campaign of 2020. Uh, Coming up on the Michael Medved Show, we'll be talking about the hearings yesterday and also the setback in the Supreme Court of the United States by Donald Trump, despite the fact uh, that he appointed three of those people. Uh, We will get to all of that and much more coming up in This Greatest Nation on God's Green Earth.